0: Welcome to the Yogi M.D. Podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Today's guest on the podcast is Dr. Lauren Fishman, M.D., Medical Director of Manhattan Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, in New York City. He is the author of 10 books and more than 90 academic articles, and a world-recognized pioneer in the use of yoga in medical conditions and the treatment of lower back pain and piriformis syndrome. He spent three years in India before going to medical school and has used yoga to reverse the deficits of rotator cuff syndrome, straighten the scoliotic spine, and actually strengthen osteoporotic bones. On the show today, we will be talking about his book, Yoga for Osteoporosis.
1: Thank you very much for sharing your time with me today. I know you're very busy with your practice. It's a great pleasure to see you and talk to you. In
0: your book, there is a quote that I really like. Be not afraid of
1: going slowly. Be only afraid of standing still. Well, it's an ancient Chinese statement, but I'm sure it could be put more concisely. But, yes, if you are making progress, sometimes it's it's rough going and you make slow progress. But as long as you're making some, you're going in the right direction. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. And I think it's very encouraging for my listeners and for people who are getting older to understand
0: and to hear that, that it's okay to go slowly as long as you're going. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Can you tell us about your fascinating history? It's not very often you hear
1: an MD who has not only studied yoga, but actually gone to India and studied with BKS Iyengar, one of our founding fathers of yoga. How did it happen? Yeah, well, I was at Oxford in England studying the foundations of mathematics, to tell you the truth. And I went and wandered down the Broad Street to Basil Blackwell, an esteemed publisher there, and I was thinking, what am I going to do when I do, get out? Am I going to go teach philosophy somewhere, you know, the foundations of math? And there I came upon a book by Patanjali, the first man to ever write about uh, grammar, as far as we know, anyway, just as, as far as we know, he's the first one to write about yoga. And he was also a physician. So I was very attracted to it. I thought I'd go to India and learn Sanskrit. But, uh, but when I got to India, I realized I was never going to learn Sense could as well as the average three-year-old Indian could. So I gave up on that and uh, started looking for just enlightened people, liberated people. There were a lot of those and amongst uh, the ones who were not liberated was a dope addict, a drug addict actually, in Bombay who uh, uh, lying there on the street gave me a book and as luck would have it it was a book by B.K.S. Iyengar and I looked at the book and I realized this was head and shoulders, belly button beyond anything I'd ever seen before in the way of yoga, resolved to do every pose in the book that I could do, which wasn't that many at the time, and uh, I did for a while, and my friend looked at the book one day and she said, you know, he's only a couple of hundred miles away, why don't we go visit him? And that's exactly what we did. And Mm. it was was an electric meeting, a very good meeting, and uh, I told him I was interested in healing, and he said, that's my great thing, come on in. (laughs) was very warm, and very generous, highly intelligent man. Mm-hmm. So that's how I came to do it. So when did you come back to the U.S.? Well, I practice. always wanted to be a doctor. I stayed with him for a year. I just rented a hotel room, went to classes or private sessions or just to see him every day. It never occurred to me that I would do anything but use yoga in my practice, but also I wanted to know how yoga worked. Mm-hmm. And the only sort of avenue open to me at that time was medical school. That was the way to find mm-hmm. out. Like I went back to the U.S. and I used yoga. I even taught a class in medical school.
0: And then oh, you did?
1: School. Yeah. So who were your uh, participants students, in yoga? Were other, yeah. other medical students, nurses, a couple of doctors. I couldn't just take patients because I wasn't a doctor myself yet. That's interesting. You know, what was the um, response to yoga by your fellow practitioners, by the doctors, by the nurses, by the fellow medical students? Well... And of course, the ones who came to my class liked it. After the six, the 1960s, almost every person with a real interest in well-being knew about yoga, and recognized that yoga was good, or believed that yoga was good. Mm-hmm. There wasn't much evidence at the time. There were these extravagant claims made by the yogis of old. This this pose cures cancer. This pose yeah. banishes death. And people took it seriously, and I think aesthetically, they just liked the idea of doing yoga. Mm -hmm. And internally, they knew that yoga did relax them. And then there was the feeling of being cool, because yoga was touted to be a really good, cool thing, imported from far away. And so people felt good at doing it. There were a number of couples in medical school a male doctor and a female doctor often would get together and they would come to the yoga class because it made them feel like a couple. It was the only thing they could sort of socially do together. What What is your special case? I'm in physical medicine and rehabilitation. I started out in psychiatry and I was accepted at this dual program with Harvard and Tufts. And when I went to Harvard, they showed me this great big auditorium. And the minute I saw it, I I'm coming in the Harvard Jones Program. I can teach yoga here. (laughs) That was my thought, rather than how great the program would be or anything else. I taught all through medical school. There were times, this was in the period where there was this Biafra crisis. And there was one in Somalia where you you could see pictures of these little children starving Mm -hmm. to death. Mm -hmm. So we held benefits. Harvard gave me a, a house. Let all the yoga teachers that we knew in Boston. So we, a couple of yoga teachers and I, taught yoga. The people paid. We took all the monies. We were very poor, and we took the money and, and sent it to Bihar, sent it to Cambodia. That was the other one, Cambodia. Mm-hmm. When you started practicing, you said you were in psychiatry first. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you use your yoga with your patients then? Very little. There are very strict rules about psychiatry, what you can and can't do. and Some of the patients are sensitive in ways you could not begin to guess. Hmm. So you have to be careful. The only time I used it in psychiatry was with addiction, where yoga did appear to lessen the, the clutch, the grip of the addiction on these people. Hmm. And some How's, were cured. How so? How so uh, is it more because well, from the meditation or from the physical posture? To tell you the truth, it was more from the physical postures. I think if I had gone further... Into the, with the physical postures, we would have gotten to the doorway to meditation. And the object at first is let the time get longer. If they can only do five minutes, let it go to six minutes. Let it go mm-hmm. to 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon, they're doing the yoga rather than getting the shot. Does that mean they're not going to get the next shot? No, it does not. They're going to get the next shot. We just prolong the periods over which they can go without a shot. I'm glad you brought that point up because yoga takes time. And mm-hmm. patience, but the results can be very rewarding. I would say more than very rewarding. I would say spectacular. Now, I had one patient, actually from Illinois, mm-hmm. who was, well, he was a goner. He had been in Vietnam doing every drug imaginable. Mm-hmm. And he was getting quite frantic and frenetic. He just went from one place to another, getting this and getting that. And he came to me one day and said, you know, I don't want to do this. I'm going to die. And I assured him he was right. And we started doing yoga, and within a very short time, within 10 days, he was not doing it anymore. Did you go back to it later? I do not know. But he was off. So when did you decide to leave psychiatry? Oh, early on. It wasn't what I thought it was. I I left it, and rehabilitation seemed to be the right place for me. And uh, then, how did I get interested in osteoporosis? That yeah, was like a, a pure, like a, a like a vision I had. I thought of all these people in India, great age, uh, who were walking from the Himalayas to Bombay. You know, a little two thousand mile jaunts. And I said, <laughs> and they're vegetarians and they don't eat very much and they certainly don't have body bills. Well, what's mm-hmm. going on? Mm-hmm. And it seemed like the yoga was was what was doing it. I didn't, and then so I did. A, I told my friends and I, they said, oh, don't do that. You're going to break their bones. These people have fragile bones. You're going to make them put, put them in contorted positions. You're going to hurt them. I listened to my <laughs> friends, and I, I did a two-year pilot study where we just invite people to my medical office at the end of the day, five thirty, six o'clock, and I, 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 I did DEXA scans, the bone mineral dentists, and a lot of people, and half of them I put in the yoga, and half of them I didn't, and then two years later, I did it again, teaching them the yoga once a week, and... Turned out the ones who didn't do yoga, yes, they lost a little bone in their spine and in their hip, and the ones who did yoga gained a really substantial amount. So I got, I was just looking at the data one night, and one of my kids walked by where I was working and he said, "Hey, Dad, you think are you going to publish this?" And I said, "No, it's just a pilot study. It's not statistically significant." And he took one look at the data and said, "Just a minute, give me the data for a minute." He went upstairs to his computer and he clicked around for a. Like, few came and I, I said, Dad, this is significant. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I set it off to a journal after you know, I wrote the thing up and, and, and it got it published. Yeah, but what really happened is I got fire in my belly. I said, this is really good stuff. This works. Osteoporosis is really a public health issue. It, yes, it's a public health issue, but not many people are aware of it or take it seriously. That's why I care about osteoporosis? Well, Mm-hmm. If you have a fracture of your hip, you have a 25% chance of dying. Another 25% chance of never leaving the nursing home that you enter after you get healed. And that's, uh, which means that you have a 50 50 chance, you know, of, of ever returning to the style of life that you had before you fractured your hip. It's also economically uh, amazingly expensive. They, they estimate. You know there are all kinds of estimates, but that city average is about eighty billion dollars a year. And third, the people who have osteoporosis don't take the medicines. This is a study by Ethel Cyrus, who's a named, she has a named chair up at Columbia, a highly bright woman who loves the medicines, by the way. She says she did a study of 127,000 people who had just entered Medicare. Did three things. First, they just entered Medicare. Second, they had osteoporosis or osteopenia. And third, they had Part D of Medicare, which means that the government would pay for their medicines. Now, given all three of those things, entering Medicare, have osteoporosis, the medicines are free. You know how many joined uh, in taking the osteoporosis medicines? No. Less than one in four. Oh, so why? Why? I think because the medicines have terrible reputations, deservedly terrible reputations. Uh, but the point is, to me, is that the baby boomers are getting up into their 70s. Mm-hmm. They're not taking the medicines. Of course, a large percentage of them have um, weakened bones. And so here we have a, a national health problem in the brewing. If they don't do anything about their bones, for one thing, they're going to undergo a great deal of pain, disability, and death. And on the other hand, the government is going to be paying more and more and more money for something that really is preventable hmm hmm So what I say is, why not do yoga? <laughs> so anyway, I got inspired to do this study. The study, long story short, worked very well. 83% of the people got at least, <clears throat> got better rather than worse, and they gained statistically significant amounts of bone in the spine where we did better than these medicines. The ovaries actually gained more bone than they do with the medicines in a two-year period. Now, the other trouble with medicines is you can only take them for a few years, whereas the yoga, I mean, it prolongs your life and it <laughs> you can do the yoga every minute of it. Absolutely. So yoga in every way, I mean, there are even more ways that yoga is superior. Yoga improves your posture, improves your balance. There aren't a lot of medicines that improve your balance. <laughs> yoga uh, gives you greater range of motion, greater strength, greater co coordination, And lowers your anxiety. These are all causes of falls. And you may say, yes, but there are medicines for anxiety. I must agree there are, but they impair your balance. What I also appreciate about your study is the fact that you had very specifically defined postures that you used. So it was very carefully thought out. And uh, the sequence makes a lot of sense. The
0: postures make a lot of sense. And you actually break them down into three categories so that it's accessible for every body type, whether you are a person who does not have any bone weakness. So you can practice for prevention of osteoporosis. You can practice if you have osteopenia, so you haven't quite made it to osteoporosis yet pathologically. And then you have the variations for people who actually have osteoporosis, and you make those distinctions
1: using... The use of a chair, the use of a block, the use of a wall for a little bit more stability and being, uh, yeah, that's what I did when I, when I when my son said this is statistically significant. I went out and I made a thousand copies of a DVD. I just gave them away to people who had osteoporosis and were willing to get some blood tests to rule out, you know, nutritional, hormonal, metabolic causes of uh, osteoporosis, which I didn't think the yoga would do with sex so I just ruled those things out to begin with um, got a, a year NTX, MTX uh, which is something that measures how quickly the osteoclasts are eating up the bone mm-hmm. and uh, if all those measures were normal I put them in the study and uh, I just gave them the DVDs and hope they did it and out of the thousand people I gave DVDs 241 of them actually stayed with the study which is, is actually pretty good mm-hmm. one quarter Uh, And those are the ones on which the study is based. So it is graded with three versions of every pose so that if you're just beginning yoga, you start with the beginner version. If you're into it a while or after a while of being into it, you go to the intermediate or transitional version, which transits you from the beginning poses to the classical pose. And it's the genius of Iyengar's yoga that the more you approximate his platonic ideal of what the study should look like, uh, the safer you are. They're not dangerous if you adhere at all to the alignment that he so wisely has put together. Mm -hmm. And you're right. I I carefully looked at the series in order to maximize the pressure on the hip and on the, the spine, because those are the areas of greatest fracture, and they also happen to be the areas that the DEXA scan measures. So we didn't do anything for the wrist then, so since then I made a second series, which I think is very good, it's made on the same principles, but it hasn't been tested yet. And that series uh, does include poses for the wrist and a little for the ribs, which is the next most common site of fracture. Mm -hmm. And if if people have both series, they can um, vary, they can do one series one day and the other series the next day, which allows them to sort of it sort of refines their their intellect, I think it refines their perceptions of what they're doing rather than doing the same thing Monday and the same thing Tuesday I think it gets a little tedious for some people.
0: but what is the exact mechanism as to why yoga is so
1: effective at promoting bone growth? It's something called Wolf's Law, which is that the the architectonic of bone which means that the underlying support of bone uh, follows the lines of force to which the bone is exposed. And just summing up a lot of research, at almost every stage along the way, it's been shown that Wolf is right. You know, for example, when you deform the osteocyte, the little cell that makes bone, just deform the cell membrane. And the membrane does mechanical transduction, turns that mechanical deformation into an electron volt on the inside of the cell. And that electron volt powers a reaction, which creates a molecule that makes its way down to the nucleus, gets in the nucleus, and upregulates certain DNA, downregulates certain DNA. The DNA goes to the ribosomes, makes RNA, the RNA makes proteins, and the proteins get extruded from the cell. Mm -hmm. And they're the very proteins called osteon, which attract calcium and phosphorus, and make bone. And Wolf was right. Deform the bone and you get more. That's the basis of how yoga works. Yoga spends much more force on the bone mm-hmm. than, say, gravity. In yoga, you often oppose a whole group of muscles or another whole group of muscles and subject the bone to a great deal of force, and that's how it works. And that's why it's better than weightlifting or running, just about anything I can think of. Is everyone in um, danger of developing osteoporosis? Yeah, pretty well. I mean, there are there are uh certain risk factors, one being poor nutrition when you're younger. That's a very good sign. Another one there's a sort of a division between African Americans who have the best bone and Asians who have the worst bone and Caucasians who are right in the middle. Mm-hmm. So but but if you, you take somebody from Africa and bring them to the United States, they very quickly approximate the US value. When you take someone from Korea and bring them to the US, same thing. So it's it's complex. Smoking is not good. Drinking is, especially alcohol, is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, soft drinks, you know, sodas are not supposed to be good for a um mm-hmm. You think you would have to drink a vast quantity of sodas to make much of a difference. Mm-hmm. But some say no. Some say that uh, uh, even a little bit is not good. Uh, not having enough vitamin D or exposure to the sun is bad. Not having enough calcium is bad. Mm-hmm. Not having enough magnesium or any of the essential elements of is, is that um, being sedentary I use being sedentary but not a lot of exercise there mm-hmm. is a genetic factor apart from the one that differentiates a- Africans from Asians from Caucasians but uh, there are you know there are familial tendencies you need someone well my grandmother had it and my mother had it and my daughters have it and I got it too yeah and women Absolutely. get it about twice as much as men but men get it a lot too Why is there the disparity amongst the women versus men? Uh, They say it's the testosterone builds bone more quickly than estrogen, but both Mm. build bone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, the greater muscle mass of men probably is a factor. Interesting. So actually, then being postmenopausal makes sense as to why there is an an increased risk factor as well. Oh, for sure, because the estrogen Mm -hmm. goes down, yeah. And if you've had breast cancer and you're on the aromatase inhibitors, they also interfere with estrogen's efficacy on bone tissue. When you talk about bone density and bone quality in your book. What is the difference between the two? Oh, big difference. Bone density is usually measured uh, by they send out a little a very low radiation dose a, at you, and behind you there's a plate, and as much. And the more radiation that reaches the plate, the less firm your bones are, because the bones will, if there's a high bone mineral density, it will interfere with the transmission of these X-rays, and they'll never make it to the X-ray plate behind. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's the, the, it's the cortex of the bone, a little, ex, the very external rim of the bone that accounts for almost all of the bone mineral densities. And there's a definite relationship between your bone mineral density and your likelihood of negative a the lower the density, the higher the fractures, I and mean, there are mm. curves that demonstrate this quite elegantly. However, inside the bone, there are cross hatchings, little supports, and trabecular uh, formations of bone that crisscross from one side to the other. And experts in this field estimate that between 30 and 70 percent of the strength in their bone is contained in these trabeculae in the middle which have almost nothing to do with your bone mineral density. I have some infinitesimal contribution, but that's it. And that is measured uh, by a much more powerful MRI, a seven tesla MRI. Bone mineral density is just that outer rim. Bone quality includes the outer rim, the bone mineral density, but also measures how rich and how firm and how thick are these trabeculae, and how how populous they are. You know how how frequently they occur. So it's a much better measure, and my guess is in five or ten years, they'll sack the uh, bone mineral density and go for the bone quality. Gregory Chang over at NYU took 18 of our yogis during the study and did this bone mineral, bone quality study on them. And he found qualitatively they have better than average bones. So yoga does seem to bone, build bone mm. quality. Mm-hmm. Unlike one of these medicines, the bisphosphonates that are noted not to build it. In fact, it sort of hurts the bone mineral, the, the bone quality and by uh, reducing the number of trabeculae. So it's another factor in favor of yoga. Can any form of yoga help? As you know very well, um, being a uh, yogi, there are so many forms of yoga, so many ways to practice yoga. Well, I can say categorically no, because there are many people in our study who had done yoga for five or ten years and had osteoporosis oh. anyway. Okay. So I mean, it's a lot of ignorance. I mean, I know from my study, which was really a pretty big study, you know, those twelve poses does improve your bone So density provided you do them for about thirty seconds on each side, each mm-hmm. side, and maintain and try. You have to put some effort into it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just go into the position and hang out there. I have several cases. It's just anecdotal at this point, but it's people doing Ashtanga yoga. Yes. which is a very vigorous yoga, mm-hmm. who, have, who have raised their bone mineral density significantly. I had one man who, uh he was a weightlifter, and he had testicular cancer at age 44, and he had, to, he had a bilateral orchiectomy. They had to take his testicles. And his bone mineral density went down, 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 and they gave him um, these medicines called bisphosphonates, mm-hmm. alendronates, you know, fosamax, He didn't respond well. He didn't get much better. In fact, he got a little worse one year, and the doctor said, you know, we'd like you to give up weight-bearing exercises of all kinds. He got so disgusted when he heard that (laughs) that he stopped, quit the doctors, quit the medicine, started doing yoga, Ashtanga yoga. And hes I've seen his values. He's gone just up, up, up from there. He went out of osteoporosis into osteopenia. And then like out of the osteopenia, is well ensconced in the normal range today. The answer to your question, therefore, is that not all yoga will do it, no, but there may be other forms of yoga that do it just as well or better than what I've put out there. So, the, one of the reasons why I ask is selfishly because I teach, as you know, baby boomers and beyond, and of various uh,
0: physical abilities. On the mat, in the chair, and in the water. So I wonder if you can say anything about or if you have any uh,
1: ideas or opinions about practicing using those mediums if they would be substandard in any way. Well, I think one thing in your favor is that the weight-bearing aspect of it does not seem to be terribly important because our muscles are so much stronger than gravity. I don't think it's negligible, but it's not the biggest factor. The biggest factor is pitting one muscle against the other. And that you can do in a chair, you can do in a bed, as long as you do it in a way that is safe. So, like like in our series, we have one, the beginner version, a number of poses begin in the chair. And people in the chair certainly seem to gain bone mineral density as long as they're trying hard mm-hmm. in a safe way. Then mm-hmm. I think it, it can work. Will it work as well as doing the standing poses? I don't know. I doubt it, but I don't know yet. Maybe it will work better. Well, I can definitely tell you that any of
0: my students who are listening will definitely say that they feel challenged in class, so I don't think we have to worry about that. (laughs) Um, These are common questions that I get from
1: students. How often and how long should one practice to reap the yoga's benefits? Okay, well, how often every day is certainly the best. In fact, Mm -hmm. doing it twice a day is even better than that if you can do it. 12 minutes that you're doing our poses, and those seem to be enough of you. By the way, you can get, that you want my DVD, it's on my website, sciatica.org, and it's also the, the first series I put out for free on uh, oh, YouTube. Yes. You just go to me, Lauren Fishman, look it up, and it's, it's exactly the same as what you, you get on a DVD. So, the shortest to hold him is 12 seconds, and the longest is 72 uh, if you want to hold them for longer, go ahead, but you're not going to build building bone. Don't okay. hurt yourself in any way. For meditation almost everyone does, but uh, I have a in the like in the DVD, it's t- 30 seconds on each side for each pose, mm-hmm. and that obviously is enough. Wonderful. And I noticed too
0: that you always end with a uh, corpse pose, also known as savasana. Why is it
1: important? And is not everyone? I think maybe he necessarily appreciates or understands why it's so important to end the class or end your practice with relaxation and not skip. What would you say yeah, about that? Well, I'd say it's very important for you, the person. I've never seen anybody record what happens to your bones while you're doing Shavasana, but I know that if you just zips from one thing to another, you can't savor it. It would be like having a, a sip of wine, and but and just as you swallow it, you bring some uh, fried chicken to your lips. <laughs> you won't enjoy it. You're not getting anything out of it. And as a consequence, uh, you're probably not that motivated to, to repeat it. I mean, not doing shalasan I can compare it to um, you, you, you buy tickets for the theater. You get all dressed up to go to the theater. You put on your shoes. You go there. You give them your tickets. And then you wait in the lobby. You never go into the movie. You never go into the show. Mm-hmm. And those minutes are of extreme value for your life. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Shavasana is, is the eight ways of meditation. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the most important thing you do in yoga. Know, even more important than your bones. But uh, you got to pause to let it happen. What is
0: your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? Hmm.
1: Well, I would say it's to do what you like, be able to do what you want to do without pain, at least in the short run. <laughs> and, uh, to, to be able to do this, to, to cure what is unendurable and then to endure what is not curable. Oh, wow. Healthy. The second part is a quote, I think, from Mr. Iyengar. The first part is my own. Thank you so very much. There's one more thing I would like to talk about for a moment, if you have time. Oh, my pleasure, yes. It is that I just made a new app. a new It's a, a website called Yoga Injury Prevention, which may be very useful for the older community. Mm-hmm. A yoga Injury Prevention is an app where you can type in a condition, and it will tell you all the poses that are contraindicated, and all the poses which are not to which you can do, and then we're putting in right now benefits. So if you have a condition, you can see what yoga makes sense, if any, for that condition. I mean, there, it's also a debunker. I mean, yoga is sometimes touted to do things, but there's absolutely no empirical evidence. When you scour the literature and you look, you see nothing that suggests that it really is valuable. But people say this, mm-hmm. and this, this debunks that. And uh, you go to www.yip.guru, and you will find it. There are things you can pay for there, but it's also free to start with. Oh, I will definitely uh, steer people in the direction of this and share it and put it in my channel. Okay. Well, Nadine, it's been a pleasure talking to you. That's for sure. You're a very good interviewer. It's yes. very nice. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. <laughs> Bye.
0: And now it's time for practical tips. Mind, body, and spirit tip. Please visit sciatica.org. That's S-C-I-A-T-I-C-A dot org. And click on the osteoporosis link to play the YouTube video to practice the 12 poses versus osteoporosis with Dr. Fishman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.